Welcome to Explore, Teach, Conserve, or the ETC podcast by the University of Minnesota Extension, where we talk with people about exploring, making discoveries, and solving problems to better manage our natural resources, and we share ideas to help you learn more and get involved. This is an older episode from when we used a different title, The Naturalist, but the conversation and ideas are still fresh. If you enjoy it, we hope you'll subscribe and listen to more episodes of Explore, Teach, Conserve, or the ETC. Welcome to the Naturalist Podcast by the University of Minnesota Extension. I'm Nate Meyer, your host today, and we are excited to talk with Holly Menninger from the University of Minnesota's Bell Museum. We'll also share some ideas about where you can learn more and get involved with the museum's activities. Hi, Holly. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, I'm happy to be here. We're really happy to have you here, too. So let's dig in. This is a podcast about making discoveries and solving problems to better manage our natural resources. What is the Bell Museum, and can you tell our listeners a bit about how it fits into this mix of making discoveries and solving problems? You bet. So the Bell Museum is Minnesota's state natural history museum, and we are part of the University of Minnesota. We are not a new institution. We've been around for almost 150 years, so we were founded in 1872 by the legislature to collect, preserve, and interpret Minnesota's natural history. Uh, We've been in several different buildings um, on and around the University of Minnesota campus. So we most recently, about two years ago, moved into a brand new building on the St. Paul campus. We have an extensive scientific collection. So we have over 1.2 million specimens that represent the biodiversity of Minnesota and places around the world. Um, But we also, um, since 2011, have included space and astronomy um, as part of our sort of larger understanding of of the world and and nature. And so in our brand new building, we have a planetarium um, and we have a team, a really talented team of astronomy educators who um, can share the the universe with, with our audience. And then we also have a discovery room called the Touch and See Lab, where uh, a visitor can come in and interact with specimens. And in that space, we break the glass. Specimens are meant to be touched. Uh, We have live animals in that space, and we're encouraging visitors to follow their own curiosity, to ask a lot of questions. There aren't many labels in that space, and that's by design so that a visitor can really um, follow their curiosity. And, and I'll note, uh, this is something that I think is really special about the, the Bell Museum, is that our Touch and See Lab uh, really was an innovation over 50 years ago. So people from the Bell Museum partnered with the College of Education at the University of Minnesota um, and innovated this idea of a discovery lab. And that's my, that concept and that type of space has been replicated in museums around the U.S. and around the world. And so that's something that's really, really special. So building off the innovations that you just talked about, I read in an annual report on the museum's first year at the new location 
that notes that for many children visiting the Bell, their visit is also their first interaction with the University of Minnesota and provides them with some of their first opportunities to talk with university students and researchers to open their minds to the role of science in the world, the diversity of people involved in research, and the processes of discoveries and how much we need that kind of thinking to create a brighter future. Talk a little bit about why these museum impacts are so important in this day and age. Oh, absolutely. I think science, especially in this era of COVID, <laughs> that really touches, touches our daily lives. And I think that um, we feel it's kind of incredibly important to engage every visitor um, in understanding not just the outcomes of science, like the knowledge that's created or generated, but that process. We actually have a section of the permanent gallery called Imagine the Future, where we're really focused on how lessons that we can learn from nature, lessons that are um, are understood and studied by researchers at the university and beyond, how those can help us understand and address some of the major problems in our world. And so the challenges, so things like biodiversity loss and pandemics and, and disease. Um, I think from an inspiring youth point of view, um, I think another really special thing about the Bell Museum is that um, a lot of our floor staff are undergraduate students at the university. As you mentioned, that having, um, having folks interact with people from the university, oftentimes it's the first time a, a student, a child, steps foot on the university campus and, and maybe to see someone who looks like them or who um, they can ask questions about because they're studying wildlife biology and they never understood what, what that was about. I think that can have a real impact on students and provide some um, important inspiration um, that may lead that child to studying sciences as, as, a, as a career. So last year, the Bell Museum opened up in a new location and over 230,000 people visited the new Bell Museum last year, up from an average of around 37,000 at the museum's previous location. As the Director of Public Engagement and Science Learning for the museum, how are you going about your work to create inspiring and great learning opportunities for all of these visitors and even more people outside of the museum? It's been uh, 2018 on has been an exciting time for the Bell Museum. And so we think about how we can engage visitors on site and so not only through our exhibits and our planetarium programs, um, but through our public programs. So a large part of the work that my team, the public engagement and science learning team, are thinking about how we can engage different audiences, whether that's just as a visitor walking through the door or someone who comes for a special program. So a lot of our work is aimed at K-12 students. Um, we have had in the past that will be changing um, in this time in this time of COVID, a really robust uh, school field trip program um, where students would come to the museum, they would tour the galleries, they see a planetarium show, they might do a hands-on lab that really gets them deeply engaged in that process of science and um, not just sort of sitting and getting information, but actively in involved. Uh, we are looking though in this coming school year to think about um, knowing that students Many of them are not even going to be in school and that um, we know that school field trips aren't really an option, but thinking about how we might be able to serve students and teachers virtually um, really help them explore Minnesota natural history, dive into space. And so we'll be offering school programs in that, that virtual environment. 
Um, for the public at large, um, we have a number of public programs, again, that we've done in the past, but we've recently pivoted in some exciting ways to online, where we are um, creating opportunities for researchers at the university across all career levels. So from the most advanced professor to the earliest grad student, we create opportunities for them to um, come and have those face-to-face -face conversations with visitors. We also like to do big events. Uh, that's something that I always have a lot of fun and enjoy. So previously every fall we would have a big festival and then in the winter we would have a space fest and uh, celebrating science, inviting researchers, students, community groups. We'd have a lot of special speakers, hands-on activities to really, to create a, a rich, exciting way for everyone, people of all ages, to, to engage in a particular topic in science. So. I think another thing that I love to do is to be is to help researchers uh, find ways that are authentic and meaningful for them to connect their research to the public. And so many academic researchers are funded by grants from federal agencies where they are funded by taxpayer dollars. And as part of um, getting those grant awards, they have to make a really strong case about how their research has broader impact, how it might affect society. And a lot of researchers aren't trained in science education or outreach. And so they need the help of partners like museums and science communicators to help them um, develop their skills and their capacity, and then also find the right kind of, kind of experience. Because I think a lot of, and I've had a lot of conversations with researchers, I think that, okay, outreach equals K-12 students. And, and that's, not, that's not necessarily true. There's lots of ways to connect your science to people. And so I work with those researchers a lot. My team works with those researchers a lot, help them find that best match for the, the topic of their research to help them with, with their grant proposals and then to help them implement and to create a space and a forum and a place where, where they can bring that science to life. You know, I love learning every day in my job. There are opportunities for me to learn new things. And some of the most exciting things in that space for me have been related to our production of, of original planetarium programs. And so we have a show that we're working on right now that will hopefully debut this fall called Mysteries of Your Brain. It's about neuroscience and we show it in a planetarium. And so we take people inside a, in, into inner space, not, not outer space. And um, so I've had the opportunity to work with neuroscientists as part of that project to help us really refine these themes, develop, develop a really exciting, fun, uh, animated show. And that will be soon, as soon as we wrap up that production, starting another original planetarium production that will be about the human factors uh, related to long duration space flight. So as we look ahead to sending astronauts back to the moon and then on to Mars, what is, how do we prepare astronauts both physically and mentally for those, those long journeys? And the really exciting thing about that particular show is that we're really centering the perspectives of people with disabilities who 
encounter hostile environments and space is one of the most hostile environments if you're thinking about how we're someone going out in, into outer space and so what can we learn from people with disabilities to help inform how we are you're preparing for that long duration space flight and as we prepared the perspectives for that show we got to learn this really exciting story about a group of men from Gallaudet University who at the start of the Apollo program NASA worked with them um, to develop the astronaut training program because these men who were deaf had were deaf because of an inner ear condition, which also meant that they did not get motion sick. And so the training program for the Apollo astronauts um, was largely developed by work with those men. And so it's things like that where you get to do a, a, a deep dive, learn about, about new stuff. That's, that's so exciting. Our listeners love to learn more about and help with natural history, citizen science, and education. What are one or two things you suggest they can do to learn from or help with the Bell Museum? So the Bell Museum has a project called Mapping Change, which is an opportunity for anyone who's interested. You access it through the Zooniverse portal. You can also find it on our website where you can help transcribe labels from specimens in our collection. So it turns out people are much better at deciphering handwriting and labels than computers are. Another way is that um, we are big fans of iNaturalist, which is an app, but also there's a, a web-based portal where um, you can upload your observations of biodiversity. We have our own specific um, Bell Museum iNaturalist project. If you see snap pictures from within our learning landscape, those automatically get added to our, our Bell Museum project. But we encourage people um, sort of at large to contribute um, to that platform. We also we participate in the um, City Nature Challenge, which is a special iNaturalist blitz that happens every spring that is, that is fun for people to do. And I'll say that as somebody who's not native to Minnesota that moved here about two and a half years ago, iNaturalist has become an incredible tool to help me learn about Minnesota biodiversity. There's another project um, that uh, we're encouraging people in our landscape to, to participate in called Lichens Near Me, which um, you snap photos of lichens and um, post it to any social media. Um, and we're working with a person out of Boston who, and Madden, a researcher there who's coordinating that project. You know, we in Extension have been encouraging our listeners and volunteers and landowners to nature in place while they stay yeah. close to home. And those are all wonderful opportunities to nature in place while you stay in your neighborhoods and close to home. So my last question, I know you are familiar with social media apps. So what is a hashtag or a brief message that you wish would really take off like millions of people are sharing it? Uh, I think one, and again, I'm not, I would always go beyond the bounds of your question, Nate. Uh, one thing that I really encourage people to take a look at is the hashtag Black in Nature. Um, I think in the last couple months, um, with the Black Lives Matter movement and with the death of George Floyd, there's been a massive focus within science Twitter to really center the voices of Black scientists and Black people participating and being as part of the outdoors. Those are not just white spaces. And there has been an incredibly powerful moment on Twitter, Black in Nature. There's been a Black Birders Week. 
there's been black in chem week, black in neuro week, black in astro week. I could go on and on and on. Um, with, and I think following those hashtags, you will learn about some incredibly um, exciting science. You'll hear the voices of um, a lot of young researchers, a lot of experienced researchers, but then you'll also hear about, um, and I hope folks' eyes will be open to some of the, the challenges that people of color have faced in science and, and, and learn how you can help um, combat and address and make, it, make a change in, in those spaces. So I strongly encourage people to um, take a look at those hashtags, but they've already been popular and I've had a lot of people on Twitter, but I would, I want more people to be participating in those spaces. Uh, I will also say uh, on, on the Bell side, um, we've been trying to make popular the hashtag Bell outside. Uh, we have um, put some yard signs, for lack of a better word, in our own learning landscape. We're encouraging people to look closely and observe the world around them in our five-acre learning landscape, but also in their backyards and their neighborhoods and to share those observations. And so uh, we've recently launched some new content about our learning landscape and um, with some fun activities, including a bird bingo game that you can download and play in your own backyard and, and neighborhood. And so the hashtag Bell Outside is a really fun one to share what you're seeing. And you can um, you can follow the Bell Museum on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram at Bell Museum. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Naturalist. Huge thanks to Holly for joining us. Visit bellmuseum.umn.edu to check out the Bell Museum, and remember to explore and use their hashtag BellOutside. Visit hollymenninger.com to also learn more about Holly's background and her work. This episode was recorded over Zoom from our homes during the coronavirus pandemic in 2020. We hope you enjoyed the opportunity for some advanced training during your daily walk, while gardening, or while sitting at your desk. Give us a thumbs up or drop a comment to let us know you value the podcast. Pass it along to others. In the meantime, we look forward to sharing another episode soon. Stay safe, be healthy, and we hope you enjoy Nature in Place. <laughs>